In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. In today's Gospel, the disciples ask Jesus a really good question. That question, who can be saved? Though we might not always use that sort of language, and though we might even be a little embarrassed of the vocabulary of the saved versus the unsaved, if you think about it, it's a question that at some level most of us ask, or perhaps live out of. We might ask who can be saved for the simple reason we want to be included among them. But however we might imagine it, whether it's salvation or heaven or peace, it's part of the goal at some point, isn't it? It, Isn't it at some level part of why we're here this morning? We want to be saved. Of course, salvation can look very different depending on who we are or where we might be in life. For some, salvation looks like eternal life in the classic pictures of art history and Sunday school lessons. For others, salvation might look like healthy children or a healthy spouse or loved one. For one or two, salvation might be simply one day without pain for someone living with a chronic illness. Salvation for others might look like days of sober, thoughtful living. Salvation might look like prayer. For many, salvation would have a much more communal sense to it. It would have to do with the global scale. Salvation might look like equal rights and opportunities for everybody, regardless of race or gender or sexual orientation or income or physical or intellectual ability or anything that could divide out. Salvation might look like everybody getting fed or everyone being sheltered, or everybody at some level being able to call some place home. And yet for others, being saved might be as simple as a moment or two that are worry-free or burden-free. Not worried for the moment, at least, about the aging parent or the spouse who's looking for work whatever it is that might keep us awake at night, salvation could look like a good night's sleep. So if we think about it, however we might define it, most of us probably want some form of salvation. We want to be saved. And so we're right there with that fellow in the gospel, running up to Jesus excitedly saying, good teacher, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus has him reflect on the commandments. The man says, oh, well, yes, I'm pretty good with all of those. I haven't killed anyone. I honor my parents. I don't steal. I'm good. But then Jesus flips things on the man. And Jesus says, you lack one thing still. Go and sell what you own. Give the money to the poor And you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Well, the man hears this and he's shocked and he goes away grieving. 
as caught up as we can get in this part of the story, it, it doesn't end there. I was at a clergy event earlier this week with a room full of priests, and we were, we were invited as the opening meditation to, to think about this scripture, and it ended at that point. And so everybody went on about how hard it is to, to preach about the rich and the poor, the rich and the poor. I was already kind of wrestling with this gospel, and I thought, well, that's not the point. The story keeps on going if we read the scripture. The disciples get hung up there too. They stop at that point and get all caught in it. And they're confused because here is this good guy who keeps all the commandments. He, he does exactly what the tradition has taught. He keeps the Sabbath day. He doesn't lie. He doesn't murder. And then Jesus seems to change the rules. Jesus changes everything. He broadens the perspective. In some ways, Jesus blows apart the whole idea of what it meant to be faithful to God. It's a lot like another story in Scripture, one many of you know, that story of the prodigal son. If you remember, there's an older brother in that story who also has done all the right things. He got the rule book early on and he's followed it. He's stayed at home. He's worked hard. He's dedicated his life to the father and the farm. And then there's that younger brother, that rascal of a brother who, who leaves the farm, who goes into the big city and squanders his inheritance It's that younger brother who comes back humble like a beggar. And yet it's the younger one who gets the big party. He gets the special feast, the fatted calf, the blowout. The older brother, rightfully, I think, is is angry about this. He's resentful about this because the rules have all changed somehow. He followed all the rules. The younger brother broke them. That older brother in the prodigal son story and the rich man in today's story hear what should be good news from Jesus. The good news that one cannot buy or earn the love of God. But they can't really hear that good news. These characters have invested, and I choose that word with reason, they have invested on what they think God wants. And now they're expecting a return on their investment. What Jesus shows is that the economics of God work very, very differently. And so the disciples ask Jesus, well, okay then, who can be saved? Who can possibly be saved? And Jesus does that annoying thing he so often does. He doesn't really answer that question, but he asks another question. Jesus asks not who can be saved, but rather who can do the saving? It's God. God saves. God and God alone does the saving in God's own way, in God's own time, in God's own lavish, self-giving, self-offering, overflowing love. God saves us. God saves us from ourselves often. God saves us from becoming too attached to possessions or ideas or friends or family or even to our own sense of ourselves. 
In the reading from Amos, as well as today's gospel, there's a tricky part to the scripture where the story kind of goes along in an expected pattern, but then it ends in ambiguity. There's wiggle room at the end. There's some room where one can wonder, how did it really end? There's room for us in the ending of these stories, room for us to move toward God and room for God to move toward us. In that first reading, Amos thunders on about injustice and oppression. He is really giving it to them. His words indict the people as he predicts the culture's crumbling in on itself because of its greed, because of its selfishness, because it ignores the way of God. And yet, Amos doesn't finish there. He continues on. He says, seek good and not evil, that you may live. And so the Lord, the God of hosts, will be with you, just as you have said. Hate evil and do good and establish justice in the gate. It may be that the Lord, the God of hosts, will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. It may be. I love that. It may be, says Amos. In other words, the future of those who seek God is not set in stone. It's open for change, for growth for renegotiation, for repentance. It's open for salvation. The same thing goes on in our gospel for today. A typical interpretation sort of ends the story too soon and too solidly with the rich man and Jesus ending in a pretty sad way. And Jesus says to the man, you lack this one thing, go and sell all that you have and give the money to the poor. Then you'll have treasure in heaven. Then follow me. And we're told that when the man heard this, he was shocked and he went away grieving because he had many possessions. But notice Jesus doesn't criticize being rich. He doesn't say it's a bad thing to be rich. He doesn't criticize the fact that the man has these possessions. If you look at the life of Jesus, he actually gets into trouble for hanging out with rich folks, for going to their dinners and parties and having friends who are quite wealthy. The rich are neither better nor worse than the poor. The problem is this man's reluctance to follow Jesus. And in this man's situation, his wealth is in the way. He's hesitant to let loose of those things that weigh him down, that keep him from moving forward salvation. The Bible story says he goes away grieving, but we don't know how the story really ends, do we? I like to think this guy's a lot like me, where he, he might make his mind up about something and then turn away, but then the next day he reconsiders it, and he goes back and gets the deal that he saw the day before but was too cheap to buy. He goes back the next day to get the good. I like to imagine this guy going back to Jesus a few days later and saying, okay, I've done it. I'm ready to follow. Or who knows, after the events in Jerusalem, after Jesus' crucifixion, his death on the cross, his rising again in glory, this man then might have had a change of heart and then decided to follow Jesus. We don't know. The story is open-ended. It leaves a lot of room for us to imagine. It leaves room for grace. Just as our own lives, no matter where we might be in our own calling to follow Jesus, 
no matter what might currently stand in the way of our being more faithful to his call, no matter what might seem to be in our way of living freely, there's room for us, room for us to respond to God. There's room for God's justice to smash all the barriers, for God's mercy to forget all sin, for God's grace to break through and bring us closer. I don't know about you, but still for me, from time to time, even dressed up like a priest, someone who is very, very earnest will come up to me and say, friend, have you been saved? I sometimes want to say, look at me, what do you think? (laughs) Maybe it's because I'm dressed like a priest that they say, have you been saved? But I have a friend who has a ready answer for this. He lives in the South and he gets this question a lot more. But he's always careful to look these folks dead in the eye. And he says, yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. I've been saved every day. I get saved. What a great answer. That's, that's our faith. Every day, God saves us in some new way. Every day, there's the potential. There's the possibility that we can be saved. The good news of Jesus Christ is that God is eager to take away whatever burdens us, whatever slows us down and makes us sluggish in following him, whatever keeps us from his love. God offers to empty our hands, to take whatever it is we may be clinging to and just lay it a little bit to the side so that our hands can be free and open So that with open hands and an open heart, we can receive the love of God and share it with others. Who can be saved? Every single one of us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.